together and we were talking and I forgot that we normally wait I don't record right beforehand I just talked to the guests for like a minute but uh we were getting carried away and I realized I was like oh shit I need to record this we were talking about uh I don't know let's just we'll just jump from there we'll continue the conversation I was saying how my grandfather and his brother who my uh my great uncle Rich was his brother who was on Omaha Beach when he was 18 my grandfather and his brother married my grandmother and her sister which I've never heard of since, or never heard of before, and never heard of since, but we kind of both agreed. You come back from World War II, from the Pacific, from the European theaters, and it's just like, hey man, it's a, tomorrow's not guaranteed, just fucking fighting, smoking cigarettes, drinking while pregnant, I mean, whoo, just let the whole thing go, and uh, see where the, see where it rolls, but Mr. Prather, how about you introduce yourself, please? Uh, my name's Jeffrey Prather, I uh, am a retired Army officer. I was military intelligence branch, uh, commissioned in 1984. It's already airborne, so I went into special operations command as a psychological operations officer, commanded an operational detachment, airborne detachment that used to attach to uh, special forces, seven special forces, Latin America, and the Ranger Regiment. And so I spent a lot of time with them in, in Central and South America. And uh, then I went over, because I got to know the uh, 7th Group guys, I got a transfer over to 7th Group. And then while I was uh, working the Contra issue and preparing for the Panama invasion at Fort Sherman, which is the jungle school in Panama, I, uh, a, a friend of mine, a captain, was uh, his team was training some long-haired guys, so I went over to see who it was. Thought it was CIA, uh, SAD, Special Activities Division, but it was actually DEA's Special Operations Snowcap um, Operation, which was where the, you took DEA agents and you trained them up and then you sent them to host nation um, Central and South American countries to work with military and police to interdict cocaine labs. So I was a Spanish-speaking seventh group um, guy and so they snapped me up. I joined the Drug Enforcement Administration in 1990, left active duty, and um, became a special agent, a, a firearms instructor, because I'd gotten to go to some special forces schools like Special Operations Tactics, which is the forerunner course to the Delta Operator Training Course selection. So they taught me how to shoot really well. That's an understatement, and because um, they're the best gunfighters in the world, as far as I'm concerned. And then I went back to Central and South America as a DEA agent. And at the same time, because of my um, status as a credentialed DEA special agent and um, my experience in special operations and special forces, I was recruited into what was back then called Foreign Operations Group, Army Foreign Operations Group, but then be, which then became the Foreign Intelligence Activity, which then kind of split and went in different directions uh, and I went with the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency's clandestine services, UMINT, Human Intelligence uh, Division. So I was kind of tripled credentialed my whole career. Uh, and that allowed me to have a different perspective than most uh, because I was working with the Contras uh, back in the day. And then I switched over to the DEA and kind of saw the other uh, end of that. Uh, and then in um, the early 2000s, I was a uh, senior special agent and I was uh, working the extradition of Miguel Cara Quintero, brother of Rafael, who murdered and tortured our agent Kiki Camarena. It's mm -hmm. a very famous mm -hmm. incident. And um, uh, I had a source 
that actually had been with Miguel and um, Rafael. And as I worked through the case, the the biggest um, hurdles were with my own government. And so by 03, I got called to active duty uh, for the second uh, Gulf War. I volunteered after 9-11. They didn't take me. I didn't volunteer for the second Gulf War, so they took me, which is how the military works. If you, <laughs> if you, if you train you for jungle, they'll send you to urban. If you train for urban, they'll send you to the Arctic. So... I was uh, being stood up to help stand up the Defense Intelligence Agency's Counterterrorism Operations Group. Uh, that kind of fell through. But again, it was because I was dual credentialed uh, as a federal uh, agent and also as an intelligence officer. Uh, and <clears throat> I was called over to the, the DEA headquarters, which is right across the street from uh, the Pentagon, where I had troops. I was running. I eventually ran their Global Operations Center. 24-7 watch center, which took me to the CIA and NSA and White House and everything. But I went over there because my informant uh, had been kind of left out in the cold. And so he was trying to sue the head of DEA at that time, Michelle Leonard, for a $5 million State Department reward. And I had worked with Leonard and Tandy, who had subsequently gone from the Department of Justice Attorney General's office to the administrator's uh, of the Drug Enforcement Administration. And I said, no, no, here, look here, the, the, the State Department $5 million reward is separate from the DA. Here's the memorandum. Can't do that. But I then just made the offhand comment. But uh, Leonard and uh, Tandy uh, really stopped my case because I had arranged with this informant to pay him about 10 grand a month so that as the extradition moved forward, um, I would have control of him. And the whole point of this was that no one had ever been extradited from Mexico, the cartel leaders. Originally, the big cartel leaders were Colombia and the Mexican cartels were simply the transporters, the facilitators through the plazas. But they had figured out that they could become uh, just as powerful. And so they had become more powerful than the Colombian cartels uh, by this time. And when they were arrested, they just either bought their way out or they lived like uh, kings in palaces that weren't really prisons. So this was a total game changer that they were going to be extradited. So this was a very big case. And I was a very senior agent and I was working with real senior folks. But I made the remark to the head of um, sources, which I don't even remember who that was now. Hey, but, uh, you know, uh, Leonard has really destroyed my case and Tandy too. And I went back to work. I was in uniform, didn't think anything of it. And then almost immediately, uh, Office of Professional Responsibility, OPR, which most people think of as internal affairs, started investigating me. And eventually they investigated me for about five years. Uh, and in 2000, and they harassed me, they uh, targeted me, they uh, contacted people and coached witnesses. They, they started one phony investigation and then closed that and opened another. They changed reports, which should all sound real familiar now because yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. exactly what they did to General Flynn and President Trump and a lot of others. Uh, and then finally, in 2009, one year before retirement, uh, without ever having a bad evaluation uh, from my boss in Tucson, and they had moved me on two weeks' notice to New York uh, for a year uh, to stress me more. And both of my uh, bosses in both Tucson and New York had given me outstanding evaluations. Uh, they fired me, uh, never bringing any charges, 
but based upon uh, a phony uh, report that was leaked, <laughs> which is exactly the template that they use for uh, everyone. And I was also at the time the liaison agent for ATF. And a lot of people don't know this, but Fast and Furious actually started at DEA Phoenix in an ATF group that was assigned to uh, DEA. But I ended up eventually working with other ATF whistleblowers, uh, Vince Cefalu, John Dotson, I've had, really heroic guys. I've had on Shefalu on here, Cefalu. Oh, you have? Yeah, he's come out here a couple <laughs> yeah. times, yeah. So I'm the raid guy. If you look at me, I'm the raid guy. Vince is the undercover guy. Yeah. It's a subculture, so you can tell the difference. But Vince and I are good friends. Yeah, yeah. And we've, and we've done a lot of good stuff together. And he was a Marine. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, eventually we kind of put the pieces together because I think I was fired once. He was fired like five times or something. <laughs> Probably. Um, no, it was. I, you know, I used to talk to him. We, we, did, we did events together. We did uh, an event with Congressman Gozar here in Arizona uh, back in the day. But this was the beginning of the deep state's first Clinton-Obama uh, covert operation okay. we, because Fast and Furious was a covert international mm-hmm. gun running operation. Benghazi was a covert international gun running operation. Syria was a covert international gun running operation. And really, they're just one uh, uh, extra step of the same thing uh, going on. So, what was happening, what finally I realized after many years and um, lots of heartache, uh, was that the uh, Obama White House, because the emails for Fast and Furious go back to the White House, and Eric Holder mm-hmm. perjured and lied about this, and Eric Holder had a, I had an EEO case against, because I'm a chaplain, I founded Christ Connection Chaplaincy, um, uh, came after me as well. You know, the whole weight of the government uh, came after me. But eventually what I figured found out was that uh, while ATF was, mandated to run guns into Mexico, which Vince and John did not want to do. John sat out on a house, on a stash house saying, hey, they're coming. He sat out in the 100 degree heat. And so we got to take them off. And they're like, no, no, we're not going to. And so they let almost 3000 guns go with no chain of custody, with no way to track them. And of course, they ended up killing um, Brian Terry, about 45 minutes where I'm sitting, Jaime Zapata, ICE agent, and then hundreds of Mexican citizens. Um, and in exchange for that, uh, the Sinaloan cart- where the guns were going to the Sinaloan cartel, because the Mexican government had a deal with the Sinaloan cartel, or I'm sorry, the American government had a deal with the Sinaloan cartel, the Mexican government had a deal with the La Familia cartel. The DEA had a deal with the Sinaloan cartel to allow them to run drugs north if they told on other cartels. And that's a stunning fact, but all you have to do is Google or DuckGoGo, rather, um, Niebla Zambada trial, and you can see where DEA agents in, in federal court raised their hands and said, yes, we had a deal with the Sinaloan cartel because Niebla Zambada was eventually brought up. All these guys eventually came up. Uh, and so the American government was running guns south into Mexico uh, because Personal liberty is insured by personal weaponry, and 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 Gun Central is Arizona. Uh, and so they tried to build this fake narrative that 
cartels were coming up to uh, Arizona and Texas gun stores uh, to buy guns, which is ludicrous. Uh, the, the U.S. government sells weapons on a mass scale to around the world, including the government of Mexico. That's where most of the, then the government of Mexico was given them a Sinaloa cartel, a familia cartel. And so that's how I went from hero to zero. That's my sad luck story. You know, everybody's got one, nobody cares. Uh, and, um, no, I, 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 that's I, a joke. That's a joke. No, 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 no. I, I, no, I, I, I you know, in nowadays I, I kind of take, uh, you know, if someone says you're zero, I think nowadays that's kind of a badge of honor when you look at the forces that are ruling the world and yeah, no, everyone's got a story, but no, I don't, I, no, it's not, it's not a sad thing. You know, I, I bitch and moan all the time. You know, I, I, as soon as I graduated college, I got into medical school, had a hot girlfriend, was king in the world. A couple months after that, lost my oldest brother to suicide and I gained a bunch of weight, did a bunch of drugs and only about moved home in 2016. Cause I was suicidal at 26 years old, like a real fucking loser. And, uh, only three weeks ago did I move out and I'm 30. So no, everyone's got one, but, uh, you're three right. Three weeks ago. Oh yeah. Wow. Actually about a month, actually about four weeks wow. ago. No, I was at home for five years, man. I was the, uh, I was the 30 year old above my parents' garage yelling at a camera and, uh, somehow I've turned it into a, an income source. But the point is, is no, everyone does have, you're right. Everyone does have a story, but they are interesting. They are, they're all interesting. And I think yours is much more fascinating than mine. Two, first of all, I need to get you and, and Shefalu on here together. That would be a badass episode. No, that'd be great. He's a hoot, man. He, his book, he Rat Snakes, he, another odd, odd that you know him, he was a cop in the town where I went to college, Athens, Georgia. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just all this weird degrees of uh, connectivity. But um, if we can just, if you can't tell, my brain's all over the place. I love talking about this, that, and the other thing. The gun running thing. Let's just grab the first one, and I figure my podcast has been banned twice already. I had on Claire Lopez, a CIA veteran, who talked episode 370, which is on BitChute and Rumble on Spotify, but not YouTube, talked about the CCP connection with uh, the 2020 election. And then episode 411, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, MD from Cambridge, who is not even an anti-vax guy, just said he doesn't think lockdowns are effective. That was my second strike. So it'll be interesting to see if this is the episode that gets me banned. Was Mandalay Bay gun running? Well, I don't know for sure. But uh, that was certainly some kind of covert operation. What I've heard uh, is that that looked like a, a Middle Eastern Saudi hit that you kill a lot. Of, like the, there's a movie, I think, with... Uh, Tom Cruise, where they shoot a lot of people to get one person. Sure. I think that's, but I can tell you for sure, um, having worked with lots of special operations snipers, I'm not a sniper, but I've worked with them and I know them, is not one guy could have done that. And also the range fields uh, to hit that area uh, were uh, incredible. And of course, there's, you know, now we know the FBI just covers up everything. What I say now is the FBI is the clean team. So oh, on yeah. a covert operation, there's several stages. One is a pre-surveillance, uh, and then there's the operation, then there's the blocking, uh, and then there's also somebody who comes in and cleans it up, which in the old days was you pick up the brass or whatever. Uh, and so what I say now is uh, the FBI is the covert clean team uh, for the deep state working for uh, state enemies of the CCP and also uh, domestic traders such as the Dems and uh, BLM and Antifa. I just put it together and call it Blantifa uh, <laughs> together. But the, I mean, the FBI, and I, and I always say this, you know, I graduated from the FBI Academy in 1990 and I'm personal friends with um, 
Ed Morales, the hero of the Miami FBI gunfight. He's been on here uh, too. Oh, has he? <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen Ed. Man, you should do a, a you should do a homecoming show because Ed and I, Ed did undercover for me. Oh, so, shit. Um, we got a lot of episodes we need to do. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I know what a real heroic FBI agent looks like because he's one. And I know what a real uh, heroic ATF agent looks like because Vince is one. Um, but what has happened is when Obama came in under the false pretenses of us trying to seek redemption for our sin of uh, slavery uh, is he wiped out uh, the uh, patriots in uh, the military, the intelligence, and federal law enforcement, two to 400 at the top levels, put in SESs. And that's why you saw President Trump having to keep fire and firing people. You know, and I knew uh, Barr had been with CIA. Mm-hmm. We, we knew that. I knew his stand on Ruby Ridge and on Waco. Uh, I knew the FBI HRT sniper uh, who uh, killed the woman at... Uh, at uh, Ruby Ridge. So we were hoping things had changed around, but the infiltration, I mean, my thing on my, on my show is as an intelligence officer, uh, I look at the battle space and, and the first rule of war is to know when you're in one. And so what I said was there's different types of warfare. And by the time you get to what I'm, what is called fifth generational Mm -hmm. warfare, you can no longer identify the combatants. They're not in uniform. And really, a uniform is just your flag. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, you'll see uh, Blantifa with a CCP flag, and you'll see uh, infiltrators coming up from Central America wearing Biden shirts. But for the most part, that's not true. And, it's, and the, the, co- this, the funding sources and support sources uh, are not shown. And then we're supposed to buy that this is all organic when uh, you got people coming from Yemen, from China, from Bolivia, from Venezuela, all the way up and there's buses, there's tents, there's uh, porta potties. Same thing with Blantifa. There's shields made. Uh, there's guys walking through the crowd paying them. Uh, th- there's a complete logistics chain that, uh, because it is covert and fifth generational, and also because the uh, military academies say for it to be war, it's got to be a state actor. Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, that's what the whole point of the unrestricted warfare report Mm -hmm. that came out with the two Chinese colonels in 1990 was we can't take the U.S. head on. Nobody can take the U.S. head on. So we're going to do unrestricted warfare. We're going to do a thousand bites, which is a thousand talents program, which is Dr. Lieber having a female sparrow uh, military intelligence, uh, uh, People's Liberation Army, uh, female there. Same thing with uh, McConnell. Same thing with Soros. Same thing with Hunter. You know, all of that. But people are starting to wake up. Um, and uh, that's good because the first rule of war is to know when you're in one. Yes. it's That's uh, Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, uh, Stealth War, his book about China. I had, I had him on this podcast, episode 161. His whole book is about he was like, China is winning the war because the United States study doesn't even know we're in one yet. And it's it's unrestricted warfare. It's, you're correct. They cannot take on the force that we have. So what do you do? You do some you do some asymmetrical warfare. Is it is it a trade war? We saw that with Trump. Is it are you flooding the borders with fentanyl? Are you flooding the borders with covid? Are you are you using uh domestic groups like BLM and Antifa to destabilize. I mean, Yuri Bezmenov, right? I mean, goes through the active measures, demoralization, destabilization, crises, normalization. 
you're seeing it all. And it's, I mean, we've known this for a while. I'm only 30, but I mean, even I knew growing up the days of the marching armies are over, right? I mean, maybe Korea was the last one, perhaps Vietnam, but maybe the, I don't know, maybe the Iraqi Republican Guard surrendering, but I know those days are over. And I think anyone in my generation who are not veterans, myself included, know that. But it seems like it's getting even more obfuscated now. It's you can't even tell. Is it an, you know, it used to be, oh, we know it's ISIS. We know that's coming from Pyongyang. We know that's Moscow. We know that's Beijing. Now it's like is warfare. It's not Omaha Beach. It's the Belt and Road Initiative. It's not it's not the Spetsnaz. It's is it the is it the autonomous zone in Seattle? It's there's no distinct thing in it. It it's frustrating, right? How do you how do you how do you fight that? It's frustrating seeing um, it's frustrating seeing your grandmother battle with with cancer. It'd be so much easier if it was a home intruder that you could see and go, there he is. Let's kill him. This guy's trying to hurt my grandma when it's cancer. And then even the smartest doctors in the world at the Mayo Clinic are like, we, we, we can hit it from this angle. But then this happens. It's infuriating. And I, yesterday I had on Dr. Federer, author of a, a new book called Socialism, A Real History of Socialism from Plato to the Present, How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. I think I got that right. And it's the entire thing is it's infuriating because it feels like you you chop off one head and it's a hydra. And it, it, it feels like not to, and this is going to be a broad generalization and I hope it doesn't come across in any negative way. At least in World War II, you could enlist. And you could say, we're probably going to die, but we can go fight the enemy. My dad's dad was 18 and supposed to go to Japan for the mainland invasion. Thank God we dropped the nukes or I wouldn't be here. But there was that sort of simplicity. Now, it seems like you don't even know what to do. And I don't know if I'm conveying this correctly, but it... What is there to do? What can someone like myself do? I try to bring on patriots on my podcast. I try to uh, make light of information. Sometimes it has nothing to do with present day. It's just about a Cold War historian about ICBMs. I try to insert uh, lessons and in intelligence and education in kind of a fun, fun, digestible way that doesn't feel like schoolwork. In your opinion, what what can we do? Is it all lost? Or as you say at the beginning of your podcast, you're not as well organized. You're not as ferocious. You're not... And I love that. That When I first heard that, that gave me hope because I thought, I always say that to people. I'm like, you know what? At least it's not D-Day. All right. We can do better. Than... We're not uncovering like Dachau. We're not going, what the hell is this? Like, it's bad, but it's not there. Can you can you, can you say your, uh, your opening line? <laughs> oh, you're not your mask won't silence us your shutdowns won't stop us you're not dis- as disciplined as the british you're not as organized as the nazis you're not as fierce as the imperial japanese you're not as brutal as isis and we beat them all you're next i love it man and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> well i am very hopeful and i am very truthful and i do i tell people ruthlessly the truth of how bad things are but i also say that we will win this um because we have the truth on our side and you know for that i kind of got to put on my 
my pipe holder hat or my chaplain hat and say sure. that's because of our Judeo-Christian native roots, because that is truth, because always everybody's always trying to wipe out the Jews, Christians, and natives. There you go. And, yeah. and they can't. But that uh, Roman Mithra temple is gone. The Romans were great engineers and great soldiers. Uh, that Greek Zeus temple is gone. Uh, the, you got Socrates and Plato, great thinkers. Uh, but we're still here and we will remain. But what you can do is what you are doing is the mainstream press has become what I call the propaganda press. Mm -hmm. And that kind of be, there's always been fake news. Uh, you know, the earliest fake news in America is there's no farms, uh, fields, towns, uh, roads, total lie. There's no civilization because Teosinte was modified into corn, which saved the world and potatoes from the Aymara that I lived with in, in Bolivia. Uh, but, the, but the modern advent of fake news, uh, since you're such a historian, I'm really impressed uh, with your, your knowledge and your intellect, is, uh, is um, with Walter Cronkite at the mm -hmm. Tet Offensive uh, saying it's a terrible defeat when we stopped him cold and beat him and we won that battle and we won every battle and Walter Cronkite decides it's a bad war. And I'm not saying it wasn't a bad war. Tonkin Gulf incident was a false flag for yep. sure. But I certainly will defend always my brother uh, Vietnam vets because they were treated so But We have a special place for them because they were treated so badly. Mm -hmm. And we always, we always really try and treat them uh, especially well because they deserve it. But from that comes in where I was telling you about uh, my last active duty time when I was uh, <clears throat> chopped to DIA, even though I was a reserve major, major pain in the butt, I like to say was my rank. But uh, within the first three, I was I was activated within the first three weeks of the war. And we know we have to win quickly because we know the press is going to turn against us. Uh, and you could say that Cronkite had good uh, motives for doing that. That is irrelevant as far as I'm concerned because it's not truth. Mm -hmm. um, but we know we have to we we know we have to win quickly. So within the first three weeks, uh, we won the, the the conventional war, the second Gulf War in Iraq. We won it. It was over. But instead of surrendering this time, like they did last time, because we did we did psyops, we dropped leaflets the first time. Guys come out with their hands over their heads, and so when you say on the leaflet, "Hey, if you surrender." Uh, with your rifle over the hands of your head on the on the leaflet or on the loudspeaker, which is what I used to do. I used to actually parachute jump loudspeakers. Uh, is then we won't kill you. If otherwise, we'll we'll bulldoze you over uh, alive in the sand. And so we see uh, we see thousands of guys coming out with their hands over their heads. So that's a metric of the psyop effectiveness, just like the mask uh, okay. is a metric okay. of the psyop of the effectiveness, because. Uh, COVID is certainly a bioweapon. Mm -hmm. Anybody who knows their stuff knows it came out of Wuhan. Yeah, you can trace it back to Fort Detrick, to Harvard, to Canada, to the lab, mm -hmm. to the market space. But really, it's released by them, just mm -hmm. like fentanyl mm -hmm. is a drug weapon coming out of there. Very similar to what the British did with the Chinese. Opium wars. It's exactly what it is. Opium wars. So, but the masks are a metric of Will you obey? Are you a sheep? Are you a mask moron? Because the science certainly doesn't, uh, at the highest rate of my age, well, at 78, I'm not 78, but it's still a 96% survivable uh, rate. It's ridiculous. But it's a metric of control. It was a bioweapon, but it was released for psychological operations mm -hmm. as a vector 
and for economic battle. Mm-hmm. And it stopped the U.S. economy and it stopped the world economy. And that's what's really uh, going on. But what can you do about that? Well, you're doing it. You're putting out the truth because Fox and CNN, uh, they're all fading. Even Newsmax. You know, I say all the time on my show, Antifa.com still goes to Whitehouse.gov. And uh, you'll never hear that on a mainstream uh, news show because it is forbidden. You didn't know that? I didn't know. There you go. I didn't know there that. There you go. So uh, I haven't checked today, but Antifa.com, click on it. It'll go to WhiteHouse.gov. And before that, Antifa.com went to Biden.com. Jesus. So the Antifa are the covert militia of the left, yeah. sponsored by uh, BLM Germany, which goes back to Al-Qaeda Peninsula, but mainly China and mainly Iran. Anybody, I worked in FinCEN, any, and I worked with IRS. We could, this stuff is totally traceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easily traced. If if there were 1811s, if there were special investigators actually doing uh, their job. So the first thing is to alert everybody that we're in a war because everybody fights the last war and everybody likes to fight the good war. And so World War II, now my dad's a World War II Pacific veteran too, and he says the same thing is thank God we dropped the bombs because the, the fighting was horrendous. Yeah. Uh, but uh, everybody likes to look at World War II because it was a very good moral war and it was very clear. Black and and so everybody, not just civilians, but military contractors and generals and admirals like to uh, think of the next Star Wars thing like World War. If you watch Star Wars, it's really just, you know, a strafing. It's just lasers and spaceships. It could be uh, Spitfires yeah. uh, on the beach. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, Everybody always wants to fight the last war uh, as opposed to the next war. And at the beginning of every war, we're always rocked back on our heels. All you got to do mm-hmm. is look at Pearl Harbor. You look at um, uh, Midway. We're getting our asses kicked across the Pacific before we finally figure out what's going on. Same thing with the Civil War. You know, uh, Lincoln goes through a half a dozen guys. We finally gets Grant. Hey, Grant's a drunk. Yeah, but Grant will fight. He'll do it, yeah. Yeah, because in peacetime, they want these generals that they're, they have nice uniforms and their papers all organized. And in, war, and in wartime, you want a patent, you want a grant. Now, if, if, if I may interrupt, do you sure. think that there is a, a uh, I remember I was pre-med in college and I used to study seven days a week. The smartest friend I've, I've ever known in my life, uh, he's a physician now, he's absolutely brilliant. He used, to, he used to go out and get drunk as shit on Friday and Saturday. And I'd be like, why, why do you do that? And he's like, because there's no better motivator than fear. He wakes up Sunday morning with a dry mouth and goes, oh my God, I have an OCHEM test tomorrow. And he, and he out, he outschooled me 4.0s across the board. I don't start getting ready for a podcast until two hours before I, I make my bed. I walk to the gym. I do a mile. I lift weights. I come back, take a freezing cold shower. I eat some breakfast. I get dressed and I meditate and I finish meditating and I come and I sit down in the chair even today, I was up. I was ready to go, but it was like 1030. And I was like, eh. and I waited and I waited and I had my alarm go off at noon. And I go, I have Mr. Prather in two hours. And I was like, oh, shit. And I got up and I went and got it. But 
I do find it, it actually kicks me into it. Curtis LeMay said, you know, Curtis, obviously, you know, Curtis LeMay had a strategic air command. Why was he so ruthless? Why did we need so many redundancies? Why do we need Raven Rock and NORAD and the Green Pine Network and Operation Chrome Dome? And why do we need all of that? Why do we need a nine megaton warhead? Why do we need uh, RCBMs, the, the ICBMs with radios in them that would actually broadcast launch codes? It's because when he, when, when his quote is, and I don't know the exact quote, but it's from Richard Rhodes. Uh, dark sun making of the hydrogen bomb the quote is from Curtis LeMay and I'll paraphrase it when we first went into the war in Europe at the rate we were losing aircraft versus the rate that we are producing them we would have no air force granted it was the army air forces we would have no air forces in 30 days that's how long we had we had 30 days of supplies and it was like well the hordes are coming and we're all out of arrows and that is why he ratcheted it up obviously it was a massive effort we had the war powers you know creating the armies that defy description to quote Garrett Graff and that's how you get something so when he you know the hard times create strong men so after granted it you know it seems peaceful there's Korea there's the cold war but it's like why are we why is LeMay going from base to base completely restructuring strategic air command why are we getting you know why are we sounding the klaxons and making sure that we shave seconds off why are we going so hard why do we have so many redundancies that kind of gives birth to Dr. Strangelove and it's because he saw what happened when we didn't and it almost feels like kind of how if I get up at 11, I go, eh, I got three hours, and I wait till it's noon, and I go, oh, God, it's time to rock and roll. Maybe that is kind of built into it. Maybe we need to see, and I'm with you. I wish we wouldn't do that. I wish we would be prepared all the time, but maybe that's what we need is we need to sort of see that the enemy is knocked through the gates and that there are people on the inside helping them open the gates Maybe we need that before we get the proverbial, you know, it's noon, I, I got to rock and roll. Maybe we need that. And maybe that's just me rationalizing it. And I know, sorry, I know I interrupted you and just went on that rant. But is, is there, can we look at a plus to this? Is there a silver lining? Can we say history has shown it worked before? It looked pretty, it looked pretty helpless in 42, 43. And then we, we came out on top. Is that what we need to do now? Is that what we're doing now? Is there a hope in that? Sorry, I know I'm terrible at interrupting guests, but it just that, <laughs> that thought was there. When the thought's there, it just crawls out of my brain. So I apologize. No, no, not at all. So w- what you're doing um, is actually very good because it stresses you. With my, I'm the founder of Christ Connection Chaplaincy mm-hmm. at uh, ChristChaplaincy.com, uh, and it's an outside the box chaplaincy. Uh, but our senior chaplains, uh, there's a point where we won't let them prepare because you you should be connected through the Christ connection to have the Holy Spirit flow through you so that what you need to say or do will just come out. Uh, the beginning, when you start, you learn need to learn the fun- fundamentals. But sure. later on, you should just be pr- prepared. And also, um, I have been training folks. I have a th- a martial arts school for 30 years. I've trained tens of thousands at warriorschool.com. And I stress my senior students because combat is going to be very stressful. When they take a test in the handgun martial arts center or in the dojo, uh, they're standing up and they got to stress themselves. And so what you're doing is stressing. So you're seeing where you're at under stress. And that is your performance. That's what you want to know. So when we go to the range, our first cold shot of the day, we go from position, 
uh, condition three, which is unloaded, to condition two, which is mag in, to condition one and fire one round and see where you're at on that. Because that's a cold shot. That's going to tell you exactly what your abilities are. And the problem in America, which is not really new, it's from World War One, it's from World War Two, is we are so blessed. We have such an easy life. We are so rich. We are so wealthy. People haven't uh, been around the world like I have and seen uh, poverty and death uh, and tyranny. And so People are just starting to wake up. The CIA said a long time ago that as long as they get their newspapers and their donuts and their hamburgers and their gas tank and their TV, everything will be fine. But they're overextending their hands because right now with the pipeline uh, hack, uh, with the bridge hack, uh, with the train uh, derailment, which is just like in the longest day, it's just like the resistance. They're cutting the lines. Things are going to start to get hard. People are going to start to wake up. Um most people don't pay attention to politicians because they're all idiots. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to pay attention, but they're starting to pay attention. And what I, another thing I say all the time is our ranks grow daily. And in this fifth generational information influence operation, the terrain is primarily human and the enemy does not hold the terrain, not at all. And they are losing more and more terrain daily so the first thing is know you're in a war and the second thing is start telling the truth and you're doing this the third thing is to start to organize so you know on jeffreyprather.com i have team america and team america goes out to every state also goes out to canada and people are starting to hook up and link up and in their states and in their cities and in their towns like i'm working with behind the scenes with the arizona audit i'm working behind the scenes with the georgia audit uh, is they figure out on the ground what they need to do. That's the essence of an operational detachment A team, what what people call an A team, which is always done amazing things. And the most amazing thing they've done uh, is in Afghanistan when triple nickel, uh, 555 and 525 go in there and in three to four months have basically wiped out the Taliban because they had no control. They linked up with indigenous forces. uh, They decided what they needed to do uh, and they did it. And that's what we are getting back to right now. But we're just in the opening phases of this. It's just beginning because things haven't gotten that bad. Uh, But things are going to get worse because they have have rewarded violence. Mm. Uh, You know, that's another thing I say is, you know, uh, Blantifa violence is rewarded. Uh, Oath Keepers uh, breaching the Capitol are punished. And so no one has yet hit back. Uh, at them. But but that is coming. I, I'm trying to, I'm never advocating anything illegal, immoral, or unethical, sure. uh, or violent. But when you um, dismantle the police and betray them, and when you poison and betray the military, and then you continue violence, then there is nobody standing between you and violence. Mm-hmm. And then it just becomes law of survival. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes Blantifa against two generations of GWAT veterans and hillbillies and Indians and cowboys and rednecks and briars and everybody else who's been hunting forever. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And that's why they that's why they go fifth generational, because they know in a week if they did third generation, uh, they'd be done. Yeah. I mean, I think of I think of my extended family in northern New Hampshire. I think of my first two years of college at Valdosta State University. I call it the time capsule from 1865. I look at those those places and I'm like, man, like there's a it's a different 
it's a different breed of person out there for better or worse. It's a different breed of person. And it's, it's, but I do think about that, how it, it, there is a digit. I would say that there's another step to that, if I may, and it's redundancy. It's, it's gather information now. It's because as everything is digital and right now, you know, I think that's, you got to respect your enemy. I think part of the most brilliant move of the pandemic is it forces everyone to interact with reality only through a phone. Granted, mask mandates are uh, lifting now, but let's just turn the clocks back a year when it was literally illegal to assemble and your only way of communicating with reality was through this thing. Well, that was that power was consolidated. You know, there's how many social media companies, there's how many phone companies and you can count them on one hand. When you control people's eye hole into reality and no one leaves their house, it does become a panopticon. And thus and then you can go into the whole the social experimentation of of banning videos, shadow banning, making the majority believe that the minority's beliefs are the majority. Hey, everyone liked this. And it's, you know, that's why they took away the like dislike button from the White House uh, YouTube page. That's why they removed comments. You can't have you can't have people, everyone knowing how bad it is. Right. So I would say that one thing is just information because right now it's like so what am i doing am i a veteran no can i shoot a gun i know where the trigger is i actually got to shoot with some delta force guys like two months ago that was crazy i had no idea what i was doing but it was fantastic you know i look at what what are my strengths where do i bring my power okay well my power is um i can i have the gift of gab as you can tell i don't shut the hell up thomas patrick harrigan i got some irish gab i have the ability to kind of pull information together Right. And maybe put it in an unconventional way and make weird analogies. Maybe I can get people to learn that way. Well, eventually they're they're going to cut that off at the knees. I don't know when. But if two years ago you said that, uh, hey, do you know in 2021 there's the, the military is going to build a fence around a church in Canada? You'd say, bullshit, dude. What are you smoking? And where can I get some? Well, that's where it is now. And, I, you know, I say this a lot on here and I know people probably think I'm crazy. It, it's coming. I don't know when it might be a decade, but it's coming to where, why do you need that many? Why do you need that many audiobooks? Why do you need that many things on your Kindle? And it sounds crazy. The crazier things have happened in the last 24 months. I think the next thing coming is going to be if all information is digital, you don't need to burn the books. You can just delete them or do a high altitude EMP. It, to me, so if, if I may add to yours, it's of what you need to do, assemble, assemble, tell the truth, meet with people, organize. I would also say redundancy. I don't know what that is. Buy books, I guess. I put my podcast, I've got a, I've got a Faraday bag, the, you know, copper wiring in case there's any, people say I'm crazy, and I probably am. I, I don't refute that. But I think that's an important thing is to learn as much as you can now so if all else, whenever I have the Delta guys on here, they always tell me, I mean, I'm sure you know, what is it Pace, Primary? I don't remember. It's some, it, but it's, it's four things, but it's basically one, two, three, four, have redundancies upon redundancies upon redundancies, and then have backups for those. I look at what I can do in my role in this fifth generational war is I know all this information. I have a freak show memory. I guess I will be like an oral truth teller. I'll pass down stories if it all goes to shit. And 
again, if you can't tell, my brain's sporadic. I, I talk like a crazy person, but it's. I think that's an important aspect is to know from history because a lot of this stuff you don't even need to look at what's going on now. You can just look at the opium wars. You can look at World War One. You can look at Pearl Harbor. You can look at Gulf of Tonkin. You can look at all these things. What's happening now is just a reflection of the past. We're just. If you can learn from that, you can see what's happening now. I. I I don't really know where I was going from that, and I didn't really ask you a question, so I guess I'm just handing it off to you now. <laughs> no, no, that, that's very true, and oral tradition is very strong. And again, that goes to the bookends of Christic, which begins with uh, Judeo, which is reading, the, singing the scrolls, and that's also with the Native American, because in America, we should fish the way people have fished for thousands of years. You fish one way in, in Alaska, you fish another in Hawaii, but you're always fishing, so if you're going to pray in America pray the way natives have for thousands of years, but the, the, the kinetics of singing in Judeo or dancing uh, or in uh, Australian Aborigines or Apache Inde people walking uh, and singing at the same time, you're experiencing it. Mm. And so redundancy is really important because redundancy brings resiliency. So two is one, one is none is when you're setting mm-hmm. the ambitions. So, uh, that is very crucial. But I'll give you an example of Hollywood has now been destroyed because Stan Lee is dead, World War II veteran. There's not, there's not going to be any more Captain Americas. There's a uh, lesbian Batgirl that <laughs> failed miserably because there was no truth to that. So the, the Hollywood industry is collapsing just like the rest of the entertainment uh, industry is collapsing because you still need conflict. You still need boy uh, meets girl. Uh, boy loses girl, boy finds girl. You have to have good and evil. And so they, they want to get rid of that. It's not going to work. So a while back, um, earlier this year, uh, my chaplains who work really hard, we met in Branson. Uh, and we just got a, a big house and we just had our kids together and had a good time. And we went to see Jesus, the show Jesus. Uh, and uh, it was a live action show. So we're sitting there and on the over here, there's a village with things happening. And here there's the sea. And over here, there's more stuff happening. And then there's uh, horses and Romans on horses and camels coming through. And my and the kids loved it. And for every age group at work, and it was multidimensional. Like when he turns over the tables, uh, they did it in slow motion because the um, the coins were uh, something real lightweight. So because that was the pivotal moment okay. when he goes, when he ticks off uh, the Romans and the Jews and ensures that he's going to be uh, executed with violence for all the vanilla Christians out there with a weapon, quirt, uh, go by swords. But that was an example of, okay, you're not going to let us make good movies anymore like Ben-Hur. Okay, we're going to do our own thing and we're going to do it, uh, everybody uh, in person. And it's going to be people, animals, multidimensional uh, uh, images. It's going to be better because it's in person. And, and so the actors were experiencing it. They were like, for, for a native person, they were in a ceremony. So they were moved. And at the end of it, uh, there's no credits. They don't take a bow. And there's no credits on, on the show line. And somebody comes out and says, hey, if you want to you know, meet somebody to talk about Jesus, we'll be in the uh, lobby. It was a ceremony. It was a sacred ceremony. The opposite of big church. You know, I was just in Tulsa in a big church going, don't big church uh, to, to everybody, you know, ticking everybody off. Like I like because, well, because Yeshua says, don't go to church, you know, synagogue. Yeah. But and then we have the, the so 
that's what's happening. The alternatives are developing and you're developing the alternatives and you're, uh, you know, uh, 30 years younger than me and you're reaching another generation, but you know your history and oral tradition is really important because with 40 years of dumbed down schooling, people can't read and they don't know any history. They're like, where's Paris, France? Uh, is, is that in Europe? Uh, is that a country? I mean, it's unbelievable what they don't know. It's You know, I talked about a, a mathematician, left-wing mathematician in my dojo who doesn't know about the gold. He's an atheist, but he doesn't know about the golden ratio. Well, the golden ratio is in your yeah, ear. Fibonacci. The golden ratio is in the Milky Way. The golden ratio is in a Nautilus shell. It's in a flower. Well, that connotes intelligent design because if, if there's an explosion, there's chaos. But out of this explosion comes order. So how about let's look at the science? How about let's look at the mathematics? Um, you know, that's that's simply one, you know, one plus two equals three, two plus three equals five. That That's obvious, but everybody has been so dumbed down uh, by big church and by big school and by big tech being censored. So you're, you're doing it and it's going to happen. Uh, and Hitler, remember Hitler, you know your history. He thought uh, his Hitler youth would defeat American Boy Scouts. But here's a key point, and you'll appreciate this because you have great uh, military heroes on your show, is on D-Day, and this unrestricted warfare by China is much more sophisticated than Overlord ever mm-hmm. was. It's much more involved mm-hmm. it's, uh, on, a, on, a, on a scale of 10 at least. But on D-Day, the platoon leaders and platoon sergeants are moving around because they got to move their men. Uh, and because they're moving, they quickly get killed off on both sides. The platoon leader, the young lieutenant gets killed off. You know, uh, a second lieutenant's lifespan in combat in Vietnam was 15 minutes. Um, and the platoon sergeant gets killed off. But on the American side, then the squad leader stood up and took over. Think Audie Murphy starts off as a private they're going to send home. By the end of the war, he's a first lieutenant. Why? Because everybody else is dead. And he just has this sense of when to move and when to not and going to protect his guys. On the German side, on uh, that they just kind of hunker down because they don't have that NCO core. They don't have that individual leadership. And that is going to make a huge difference. It That's actually a beautiful, uh, beautiful parallel I hadn't drawn before is – is yeah, it's. I mean, we saw that, and I don't know if you've ever listened to um, uh, Dan Carlin, Hardcore History. He's got these. He does these history. I had heard. I'd heard his name on Joe Rogan a million times, and never looked. I finally looked into it. He's got these like series of history podcasts that are better than any book I've ever listened to. Primarily, though, we won't get off into the weeds. He has one called Blueprints for Armageddon, and it's a five-part series of World War One. What led up to it, what happened, and kind of how it unfolded. And one thing he talks about is the Germans' um, unparalleled ability to develop this complex invasion plan because they foresaw World War One. They foresaw all the treaties going south. They had the Schlieffen plan down to, he said, generals would be on their deathbed. And they'd be like, don't forget to, like, watch your flank on the Schlieffen. Like, it was, it was perfected. When it started, they said it was like turning the key on this, like, weird sort of Rube Goldberg, like, uh, analog machine like all these troops started showing up all these trains had to be at these certain bridges on certain times and it's this many things would show up and this many soldiers with this many boots and it was like a Swiss watch just 
beautifully orchestrated. However, and as someone that had clinical OCD and went through OCD therapy, and thank God I'm free from that hell. It's probably how I got into med school. But like clinical OCD, if it starts to go wrong, they don't have, there's no, all right, you know, no plan meets contact with the enemy. So when all of a sudden, like a bridge like broke, the war didn't even break out yet. I was like, no, well, you're supposed to be there at 1207 and that's supposed to be there. And it just, it just went nuts. They just don't know what to do anymore. It's just, you know, it's, it's Hitler going into the Wolfschanzung being like, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. Give me some cocaine. It's maybe their complex fifth generational thing. Maybe you can't survive outside of this perfectly orchestrated. We control the nightly shows. You have the same talking heads. Ha ha ha. Trump bad. You know, you get the same. We put banners on everything. COVID-19. Area 51. YouTube puts banners on JFK assassination videos now. Maybe they can't exist outside of this perfect, this perfectly developed system. Maybe they are the Germans in World War One. It's intimidating. It looks brilliant. It's a complex watch that you're saying about the Chinese now. Maybe it won't survive contact with the enemy. Maybe it will. But I no, it isn't. Okay, there you go. No, it, it is not. It, you know, it's a Swiss watch. What happens when you take uh, one uh, cog out of the Swiss watch? It stops working. Yeah. And and what is war? War eventually is chaos, yeah. and it's chaotic. And as and as I always say, planning is invaluable. Plans are useless. And this is a plan. And so your show, my show, all the groups that are sw- springing up are not fitting the plan and that's why you see them getting caught in the lies that's why they have to censor mm. they, they they had to take trump off tweet uh, off twitter because he was better at it than they were uh they have to uh censor him off the news because they can't figure out what you saw uh here in arizona the maricopa audit they're they're panicking oh, yeah. because the yeah. pieces the pieces don't fit together and so eventually uh, it will fail. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. It's going to require great sacrifice. And they're splitting, you know, with the with the rail, with the bridge, with the river, uh, and with the pipeline. They're splitting the country right now, and they're also splitting up cities like D.C. Still got National Guard, but you poisoned the National Guard from Michigan, and then you left them there. So who's the National Guard going to be loyal to? Their families or the people that poisoned them? And the people that had them sleeping in, in parking garages. When it really comes down to it, who are they going to side with mm. in the end? So it, it is going to collapse. It is beginning to collapse. But they want you to think that they're this uh, this uh, unassailable giant. Monolith. And that's not true at all. Yeah. It's – yeah, it's – it's like, a, well, of course they're not going to broadcast. You know, it's kind of like censorship. You can't bring up censorship because it gets censored. You can't, you know, who are you going to go confess to? Are you going to go confess? Are you going to go drop a tip off at the CIA saying, I think I, I think there was a shooter on the grass, you know, it's like, well, who watches the watchman? They're not going to tell you, oh, the plane's falling apart. But it, you know, it's and we'll wrap up. And it's it's three. And I told you I'd let you go. So we'll, we'll wrap up. But um, Garrett Graff's Raven Rock is book all about the, the nuclear bunker starting under FDR going all the way through present day, at least what's been declassified. And they had, and I think the quote from somewhere in the 70s was like, we were always just one more graph away from having nuclear war figured out. 
We had, I mean, they had money put away, like actual fiat. They had, you know, Declaration of Independence. They had food. They had guns. They had these secondary plans, these tertiary plans. The United States Postal Service would act as like a vaccine delivery as well as like a coroner. They had all these things just planned out to a T. If a nuke comes from here, we'll put him in this train. Congress goes to the Greenbrier. President goes to Mount Weather. Blah, 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 blah. But whenever there was an actual scare, and it happened with uh, Truman, and I think it happened with, uh, I forget who else it happened with. We saw it happen in, I think, with Bush and uh, Rumsfeld. But often they would, with Truman, when they thought there was a bomber group coming out in sometime in, I think, 47 or 48, he said, we need to evacuate you. And he was like, I'm, I'm staying here and I'm going to broadcast from the White House so the American people know I'm not hiding in the hills. Time and time again, you'd see secretaries, you'd see generals, where when the time came, when a Cuban Missile Crisis or Able Archer 83, when the time came for the rubber to hit the road and the Marines would land and, you know, Mr. Secretary, we need to get you to a bunker in 11 minutes, they'd always say, I'm going to stay with my wife and kids. Because they have backup governments. They have Plan Bs, Plan Cs. They have the line of uh, the, con- the continuity of government. When it, e- when it ever felt like it was real, oh, we think there was a 2200 nuke launch from the Soviet, they would... There was always, and I'm not necessarily making an argument for or against going for bunkers, but rather what I'm saying is, is the plan said, this secretary will go to this bunker and they will be escorted. It would always come down to, I'm not going, I'm staying with my family. Now, I'm not saying that that affects the war. What I'm saying is, is the plan would fall apart. When the big game came, it would just fall apart and it would be chaos. And I feel like if it can happen at the White House, (laughs) Truman says, I'm going to stay here, like, leave me a microphone. Why can't it happen in every other aspect of their so-called war, their Marxist takeover, their 100-year plan for the China to rule by 2049? Ed, thank you for this episode, man. This gave me some hope, actually. I got, well, I got well, jacked up. There, there is hope, and we are going to win. And I've worked on continuity of government and continuity of operations uh, in the military and in law, uh, in intelligence. I did, I did it for uh, DIA. I did it for DEA New York. Uh, and one reason is that they don't practice it. Uh, the head's like, I'm too busy, but I'll do it when I got to do it. Well, if you don't practice it, uh, yeah. you aren't going to be able to to do it. But it's already happened because this is the debate about the new codes not going to Biden. And how do we how do we know that? Because Pelosi was asking for the new codes. So there there's already a break in, in the chain of command. And that's where you see the generals, including, uh, you know, a friend of mine is General Boykin, former commander of Delta Force. Maybe you've had him on the show. I've not. Fabulous guy um, uh, who signed the letter that the generals and admirals saying, hey, this is not a chain of command. This doesn't work. So the chain of command is already uh, failing. And the more they cut up the country, the less control they are going to have uh, as things get worse. And people are going to rely on each other. And that's what they don't understand uh, about Portland and feral cities. And feral cities is the new place of guerrillas. In World War II, guerrillas are in the countryside. But now we learn from Fallujah, there's too much overhead surveillance for countryside guerrillas. It's in uh, uh, urban dense areas, and those are called feral cities. And how Trump finally killed ISIS was to declare certain cities feral cities, which in World War II would mean Lovelet, mm-hmm. uh, 
j- just let it happen. And so that's what Portland is. Feral is a is a feral city where the CCP can come in and control. But how are they going to control those lines of communications? Uh, they can't. Uh, because they have to isolate uh, everybody. How are they? That's why they're buying up farms and ranches. Mm-hmm. But who's going to work them? Who's going to do the transport? You're already having truckers not going into feral cities because they're getting uh, beat up and killed. So uh, it will self-defeat. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. But there is hope, and we will win this. Uh, and they are losing ground every day. I used to say we were winning before the election. And before the election, I said... Uh, the final option was I said to um, Trump needed to go kinetic uh, in uh, in the uh, Indo-Pacific theater to push China into a shooting war and also send U.S. Marshals and Special Operations uh, Group, which is the U.S. Marshals Special Operations, where there's a lot of special operations personnel from there into those cities to push it. Didn't happen. That's a whole nother story. I think Miller and Ezra got activated too late. I don't think they could make the switch between intelligence and evidence uh, between. um, But anyway, uh, it is already happening. There is hope. We will win this. And uh, what you're doing is a big part of it. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, sir. And I I could keep talking to you for an hour, but I'm going to have I'm going to have to cut myself off real quick, though. Is there are there still patriots in upper echelons of the government. I mean, I know we just saw that Space Force commander get iced the other day because he went on a podcast and said Marxism is in the military. Are there still individuals in the military that they're not sweeping this under the rug? They're, I mean, they can hear you breathe. They know what happened in November 2020. Are there still forces loyal to the Constitution in the United States government? Are there what you were saying about chain of command? I had never heard of that. Are there is there hope yet beyond you and I telling each other there's hope? Well, there are patriots. But when you hear people say, when is the military going to step in? It's like the, the military is a personality. That's not how it works. The, the the squad reports to the squad leader. The squad leader reports to the platoon sergeant. The platoon sergeant reports to the platoon leader. The platoon leader reports to the company commander. And it just goes up like that. Uh, yeah, you can disobey an immoral order, but that's not how it's work. How it works, and and a lot of guys are not read in. They're busy. Yeah. I know people in counterintelligence that aren't aware of what's going on. It's really frustrating. People have been training with me for years because they're too busy with their paperwork and and doing their job. Are there patriots? Yes. Um, are there many? Probably not. Uh, Are they going to show their hands if they're still inside? The way you operate on friendly territory is not the way you operate behind enemy lines. Anybody can wear a mask. Anybody can dress in black. uh, Anybody can wear a BLM shirt. And we have to start understanding how to fight covert war. That was when I got activated uh, in 03 to 04 is we were trying, there were about three of us majors with special, there were military intelligence branch, but we had special forces backgrounds. We were trying to say, this is no longer conventional war. The conventional wars ended. You've got to switch. You can't fight unconventional warfare insurgent forces with conventional forces. Uh, and of course, it didn't happen until Major Gant of Special Forces got a hold of uh, General Petraeus and General Petraeus says, hey, it's an insurgency. No God. And then, of course, he got betrayed uh, by Obama <laughs> for all of that. 
But really what has happened is this subtle coup. And what is happening now is a subtle counter coup. But we have to understand that we can infiltrate them too. Uh, we can expose. That's what Veritas is. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what we're doing here. Uh, that's what talking loudly to everybody, to mocking people wearing f- masks, saying mask morons and needle Nazis. Call them that. And tranny trolls. Ridicule is powerful. Uh, and and do that. Uh, and that is the tide beginning to turn because everything is fading. People are wanting to get their, their kids back into schools. But once they're back, if they if they will uh, treat the parents at a parent teacher meeting, uh, shut it down like they're doing here in Vail and Scottsdale. then what do you think they're going to do to those kids? I pulled my kids out of a Christian school because it went woke because it went Black Lives Matter. I'm not going to, my kids are too valuable. Those teachers don't deserve uh, my children. And so uh, we are, that's what Team America is on JeffreyPrather.com is rely on each other and God and not on toxic, corrupt government. That's how we broke away first time. That's how we're going to break away again. That's how we did it before. That's how we'll do it again. Yeah, it's, and this time for real, we'll wrap it up. I was going to say, Norman Oler, he's an author I've had on here who wrote a book called Blitzed about Hitler's drug use, but he wrote another book called The Bohemians. It's about one tiny little section of the resistance in World War II. And there's a Jewish guy named uh, Haho Schutzeboisen. And uh, he was part of the resistance. Super handsome guy, just total stud. And he and his friend were uh, part of, you know, they were Jewish. They're outwardly Jewish. And they they openly uh, spoke out against the German government. SS came and got them both and brought them into a, a work camp where they were interrogated all night beaten, forced to run on the track, and his friend, I believe, had a heart attack, and then the SS beat him to death. Haho survived. They tortured him and interrogated him, and he, he kind of gave him some false information, and then they branded him with a swastika on his thigh and uh, beat him so he had kidneys. It wasn't So what he did, though, was instead of going back and going down in some, you know, uh, rebellious blaze of glory... What he did was, is he played dumb like a fox and said, I've seen the light. And he joined the Luftwaffe and he went and worked at the headquarters and moved up as an agent, all the while faithful to the resistance. And he sabotaged it from within. When the, when the SS would bring in people from the resistance, Haho would go in there, you know, look him dead in the eye. He'd be like, you know, like, you Jewish scum. And they'd always offer him one cigarette before they beat the shit out of him. And that was their way of taunting him. Get him a nice nicotine high, and then the SS would just beat the shit out of him. Haha would open the cigarette thing, and give him a cigarette, and inside written was, like, friendly. And it was, he was on their side. And he would make sure, he couldn't guarantee their lives, but he would tell them, don't give up any information. Haha was eventually found out, and he, his girlfriend, and all of their friends were hung till they were dead. And that you might say, oh, there wasn't a, a good ending. I would argue that Hitler put a bullet in his brain and Soviet artillery leveled uh, Berlin. I would say that it did work. Did they do it alone? No. For every Haho shoots a poison, there's 900 stories we'll never hear of because they're just gone to history. It wasn't for naught. It is a thing of history. And Haho never got to see that happen because I think he was executed in 44. But I would argue it was that that smart resistance, not the whole, let's just run at the Reichstag with a gun. 
No, Haho went full like Jason Bourne. And he was like, I've seen the light, started talking German, started hailing Hitler, went and like rubbed elbows with the elite, all the while just mind focused on taking them down. And to me, I mean, that guy's an animal. And it's, you're right. Do they show their hand? Absolutely not. Absolutely. Yeah, not. Ch- check out the courier is a new movie that just came out okay. uh, about a Russian patriot uh, and an American, uh, or maybe it's British, uh, but they're trying to stop um, Khrushchev. I think it is. And it's a true story of exactly uh, what you're saying, but as things de- uh, um, devolve, uh, that is, as we get cut off on supplies, people always make this mistake uh, when they bomb, like uh, England sacrificed London to save the RAF uh, planes, but it didn't break the resolve. It increased the resolve because people became more tribal. And as we become more tribal and rely on each other and open our doors, we will become stronger. Yes. Yeah. Keep calm and carry on, right? All the families in the, the subway tunnels just like... You know, what what the, what the British used to say, London can take it. That's just what they'd say. They'd be like, give it your best. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis comes out of that. Yeah, it's it's heroes come from that. And uh, I can't help but think that none of this is by accident. I, I, I don't think that this it's going to shit in this life by, you know, why did I get born now? I think it's destiny, just like I think it was destiny of those born into World War Two, into World War One, into the Revolutionary War born to come across the Atlantic Ocean, born to do whatever. I think we're all born when we're supposed to, and we are learning something. And as a 4.0 pre-med student, I plan on acing this class. So that's what I'm going to do. Mr. Prather, I'll put your podcast, your channel, your website in the description. Thank you so much, sir. I said I'd keep you for 30 or an hour, and here I am at hour 15. So I clearly cannot be trusted. But I would love to have you back on with Shefalu, get Ed Morales. I feel like I have a lot of episodes left with you because I like listening to you. Thank you for your patience. I know I run my mouth and I know I interrupt and I'm trying to get better at that. I get so excited and I can't help but just keep talking and talking and talking. No, Tommy, I love that. I, I Because I say to my young students, tag, you're it. I'm done. It's your country. You get the government you tolerate and the country you deserve. So you're doing great. Keep it up. I'd love to come back with Ed and Vince. That would be uh, wonderful. Absolutely. So keep the faith and God bless. We will win this. God bless you too, sir. God bless America. God bless everybody. Stay safe. Be thankful. Be grateful. And uh, yeah, let's fight these dirty communists. All right, All right Mr. <laughs> Fraser. God bless. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.